This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg It's only when God's light illuminates the material that the light is so much more intense than the light of God in the upper realms and the higher spiritual realms. So the whole purpose of creation was that we should transform the material into the divine, into the spiritual. That's the whole purpose of creation. God creates, transforms energy into matter. The mission, our mission is to transform matter into energy. To take the material and to transform it into a mitzvah, into something divine. And he said, when you take something dark, dense material, which is the antithesis of anything that's spiritual, because anything that's spiritual is connected to its source, senses its source, points towards its source. Material is almost an absurdity, because material points to itself. I, ego, I exist, very rigid. And it just points to itself, takes its existence for granted. It's the antithesis of godliness. And the mission, our mission is to transform this darkness into light. To take this material object, to take our physical human form, being and to transform it into something divine. When you transform the darkness itself into light, the material into divine, to something godly. The illumination is so much more intense that it's actually a dwelling place for God. You actually draw down God's essence. And God's essence is revealed in this world. Therefore, as expressed in Allah, that the whole purpose and intent is the deed, is the action. The purpose is not the spiritual realm. Same is true within us. If a person just develops his spiritual sense, he doesn't have the mitzvah. It's only when he fulfills the material, the, the physical, the good, the deed, the act, the act itself, that, then you perform the mitzvah. So what if a person has intent but has no deed? Versus the person who has deed who has no intent, the person who has deed has fulfilled the mitzvah. The person who has intent has, has fulfilled nothing. But nevertheless, the Talmud says that if you do a mitzvah without intent, it's like a body without a soul. What is a body without a soul? A corpse. What happens to a body without a soul? Yeah, dies, it rots, disintegrates. What keeps the body together? It's the soul. The soul unifies the body. Otherwise, what is the body? The body is like a core, it's like a piece of stone. The stone merely exists, but it's fragmented. You don't see any connection between one stone and the other stone, one grain of sand, the other grain of sand. 
It's completely disconnected and fragmented. Although the truth is that everything is truly connected, matter is energy. This stone is made up of atoms. The atoms are all connected. You don't see that. All you see is an existence, the stone, I am. Why am I? I am. No reasons given, no explanations offered. I am because I am. Bang your head on me, on the stone. I am, period. (laughs) Where's the energy that's sustaining it, that's bringing it into existence, the life force, the dynamic, vibrant life force? From the Kish. You don't see it. You see see a stone, that's all you see. Unmovable, unbudgeable, stubbornly sitting there for thousands of years until you kick it around. And unchanging, unyielding. And you don't see a connection between one stone and its neighboring stone. Each stone is a, is a stone for itself. There's no connection. There's no spirit. There's no life. There's no spirituality. There's no connection. Versus, the more spiritual something is, the more you see, like you unveil, suddenly you see a little spirituality. You see a unifying point, a connection. Take, for example, organic life, which is the next step up from the stone. Organic life, you see a life. The tree is alive. Yes, it's rooted in one place, doesn't move. And the life force is only that it makes the trunk grow, it makes the tree, the physicality grow. The physicality grows in physicality, it grows. But nevertheless, you see a life force. The tree has many parts to it. There's roots and there's the trunk. We just celebrated Tu B'Shvat on Monday. Celebration holiday of the trees. You see your roots and you see your trunk and you see branches and you see twigs and you see fruits. But, but that's not... There's the, the overall, the life force, the energy, the life of the tree. The tree is alive. And that life expresses itself in trees and trunks and and, in roots and branches and leaves. But there's a life, it's an inner life that brings the whole tree together. There's a coherent, dynamic entity which is the tree. That's a very limited form of life. A limited expression of life. Something inward. A glimpse into something spiritual. And what happens... If the tree dies, then it's dead. It withers away. It doesn't disintegrate as fast as a, as a higher form of life. Because in the tree, in organic life, the physical is much more prominent. The expression of its life forces that it causes the physical to grow even more. Versus take a higher form of life, animal life. There's a life. There's an animal that's roaming, that's moving, that's that feels that here you see a much greater, more intense revelation of that inner soul that brings the whole animal together. Everything about the animal, it's about a life that expresses itself in all the different parts of the animal. What happens when the soul leaves, the animal soul leaves, you end up with a carcass, rots away. Here you see clearly that how the material is dependent on the spirit. And you see it most in human life, the highest form of life. What happens 
what happens when the soul leaves, God forbid. If anyone here has been present on the passing of his passing and the soul leaves. It's like, it's like right. It's like the person is gone. It's like a piece of clay. The person is gone. What do you have here? This is not the person. What do you have? A piece of clay that very very quickly disintegrates. Because it's the life force, that imagination, that soul, that feeling, that personality, that character. It's the life force that incorporates everything. That's what it's really all about. And it's that single unifying life force that expresses itself in the brains and in the heart and in the, in the guts and in, the, in every organ in the body and the ear and the nail. Every aspect, every, the material is almost like a, a reflection of the, of the spiritual. That's all it is. It's a reflection of the spiritual. The body perfectly matches the soul. And the organ in the body perfectly matches that particular ability in the soul. It's almost like a readout, a materialization of the soul. The body is completely nullified before the soul. And it becomes an expression of the soul. A readout of the soul, if you will, on a material dimension. So much so that the body itself comes alive. The body is alive. So it was completely dependent, completely nullified before the soul. So the Talmud says, just like a living person, a living person is one who body and soul are one. And the, the soul unifies the whole person. Otherwise, the body just disintegrates. What do you have? A collection of parts that have no connection to each other. So too, the ideal mitzvah, what Hashem desired, Hashem wanted a Jew to do the mitzvah, but it should be a living mitzvah. If there is no intent, if you do the mitzvah cold-bloodedly and mechanically and by rote, and, and you're forced to do it, and you do it out of, because, you're, it's because it's tradition, and you're conforming, and it's convenient, and it's comfortable... But there's no heart and there's no soul and there's no struggle and there's no intent and there's no investment and there's no mind, there's no focus, there's no concentration. Then you're doing the mitzvah, it's like a stone. You do one mitzvah here, you do another mitzvah here, you do a third mitzvah here. What's the connection? There's no connection. It's like you have a list, a laundry list, okay? There's a laundry list of obligations I have to take care of today. One, two, three, four, five, six. What's the connection between this whole list? I don't know. What's the connection between this list and myself? I don't know. There's no connection. You just do it like a stone. What's the connection between one stone and the next? There's no life. There's no life. You don't see the connection. Of course there's a connection, but you don't see it. It's completely lifeless. Versus when the mitzvah comes alive, when it's a living mitzvah, like the corpse comes alive and the body comes alive, there's a unifying unity to the whole person. There's a dynamic, there's a focus, there's a purpose, there's a point. There's an excitement. There's an energy. So when you do the mitzvah, suddenly your whole life becomes permeated with a sense of godliness. 
which permeates every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life is connected to the divine, from the mezuzah at your door, because you're connecting your whole home, your whole house, and everything that you do in your house to Hashem. The eating kosher, connecting your kitchen to Hashem. Every mitzvah, every aspect of your life, of time, of space, every mitzvah suddenly becomes connected and unified, and there's a unifying theme, a unifying purpose. So if the whole purpose of, of Torah mitzvot, if the whole purpose was to transform the material into something spiritual, to take something material that's an end in itself and that appears to be an end in itself with no rhyme or reason, and to transform it into something divine, that this becomes a home for God, that you become something totally godly, its whole being becomes godly, then how can it not be spiritual? The more spiritual you are, the more you show how the material is just a reflection of the spiritual. And the more you show how it's com- instead of being an independent entity, it becomes a completely dependent entity. The more nullified it becomes, the less egotistical, the more nullified it becomes, then you're fulfilling the purpose. That is the whole purpose of the mitzvah. The whole purpose of the mitzvah is to transform the material into spiritual. Not if you remain rigid, egotistical, materialistic, external, fragmented. Then the whole purpose of the mitzvah is to transform the darkness into light. So the more light you shed, the more spiritual you become. The more flexible, the more godly, the more spiritual you become. The more alive, the more dynamic, the deeper, the more connected then you're fulfilling the purpose. That's what Hashem wanted. That's what God wanted. Now, if you just have the intent without the material, then you have nothing. Versus, if you have the material without the intent, the truth is you have, you have everything. Because it's like... It's like Yes, the body is the materialization of the soul. But how do you grab the soul? You want to know how you grab the soul? You take, grab someone by the arm and schlep him. I'm grabbing his arm, I'm grabbing him. Through the arm, I'm grabbing him. When you do a mitzvah, the mitzvah is God's organ. So when you grab the, the hand, God's hand, so to speak, you have God himself. You have the essence. You've touched the divine and been touched by the divine. So through the materialization, ironically, it's the materialization, which seems to be the lowest point, the most external, the most superficial point, that materialization carries with it the whole essence. So if you have the materialization, if you have the object of the mitzvah, you've done the deed, the act itself, the act itself contains, it's like the seed that contains everything in it. Have everything. The potential is all there, it's all there. I made the plane, I made the bus, I made the train, I'm on. Maybe it's potential, it's hidden, it's, and I'm in the back, I'm hiding under the back seat, but I'm here, I'm present. I have. Versus if a person starts catching angels and starts meditating in spirituality and love and philosophy and high levels of consciousness and sublime, but he doesn't do the act, doesn't do the mitzvah, he has zero. Zero. Nothing. And yet at the same time, the Torah says, the ideal is to do the mitzvah with intent, like a body with a soul, 
alive. Because the ideal is to transform the material. Instead of the material which appears to be egotistical and independent and fragmented and lifeless and dead, and completely disconnected from godliness to show how this transform this material into something spiritual, something godly. And that illumination is so much more intense and so much more powerful than even the illumination in the higher realms, in the higher spiritual realms. So when you do the mitzvah, and you do it with the neshama, with soul, with heart and soul, and you reveal how the material becomes a reflection of the spiritual, then you're fulfilling the purpose. That's what God desired. That's what God wanted. God wanted us to, trend, to illuminate the material, to transform the darkness into light. So the more light you shed, the more you unveil, the more you reveal of the soul, the more unified your life becomes, the more you sense the unity of godliness, and the more you sense the coherent, that there's a coherent theme to your life, and the more connected you feel consciously, and the more you feel that your life has a theme that connects every aspect of your life, then you're fulfilling the divine purpose. That's what God wants. Versus if you just do the mitzvah. If you just do the mitzvah, every mitzvah is, is fragmented. Every mitzvah is separate. There's no connection. It's just a laundry list of things that you do every day. Dry, cold-bloodedly, disinterested, no passion, no joy, no life, out of guilt, or out of habit. It's not alive. The more alive you are, the more connected you are. The more the body becomes completely nullified to the soul and the soul brings everything together. It's one entity. It's one point. And the more unified you become, the more alive the mitzvah becomes. And that's what God desired. So the ideal is you should do the mitzvah together with the intent. Together with that focus, that concentration, you have to polish yourself, you have to refine yourself, you have to grow and you have to change. You have to invest in the mitzvah. The mitzvah has to cost you. The mitzvah has to engage you. The mitzvah has to involve you. It has to involve your mind. There has to be effort. There has to be growth, personal, subjective. And then the mitzvah comes alive. Then it's a body with a soul. Otherwise, it's a corpse that quickly, quickly disintegrates. It doesn't last. It doesn't survive. You know, let's just quickly review from the top of page 526. True, although both the actual mitzvah and its kavana contain the same supernal will, which is perfectly simple, i.e. changeless and indivisible, so that it cannot be said that kavana contains more of Hashem's will and performance contains less, and this will is united with Hashem's essence and being in perfect unity. Nevertheless, the illumination of the supernal will in one's soul is different in terms of its contraction and expansion. In the performance of a mitzvah, this illumination is in a state of contraction. One's attachment to Hashem's will is not readily apparent. In the kavana, however, the illumination is in a state of expansion and revelation in one's soul. Here, clearly, one's thought and intellect are attached to Hashem. In the note which follows, the Alter Rebbe traces the difference between mitzvot and the kavana to their source in the supernal sefirah. Each sphere consists of an ore, a light, and a keli, a vessel or receptacle for the ore. The kalim of the spherot have a well-defined character. One is chachma, another bina, and so forth. The orot, however, 
are godly energy, simple in the sense that they are devoid of definition, unlimited, and not restricted to any specific character. Restated, this means that kalim are contracted and limited, while arot are expanded and unconfined, the very traits that differentiate between mitzvot and their kavana. In the Kabbalistic terminology, the light, which is a reflection of the orb, the sun, the light reflects the sun. So God's light reflects God. Just like God is infinite, the light is also infinite. So from the light's point of view, there could have been, not why there are only ten spherot, there could have been infinite amount of spherot. Even though it's difficult for us to comprehend how that's possible, we can't even imagine a sixth sense. Try imagining for a moment the sixth sense. Like hearing, seeing. Imagine you had another something else. In, something else. Could you imagine? It's impossible. A seventh sense. All right, <laughs> okay, you can imagine a thousand ears, Martian ears, a million eyes. But you can't think out of the box. It's impossible. Imagine another sense like seeing and hearing. Not besides the sixth sense of extrasensory, but imagine another sense. Not an extrasensory experience. Imagine another sense. Taste, touch, smell. It's impossible. Yeah, it's picking like, up uh, radio waves, something like that. Again, but it's, so it's like hearing it or seeing it. It's all a play, all imagination, science fiction imagination. It's all a play on what we know. It's like trying try to get a blind person, someone who's born blind, to imagine what sight is. It's impossible. He doesn't know what sight is because he, it's not in your experience. You can't even imagine what that's like. It's impossible for us. So God created five senses. And he created ten spherot. We have brains, we have a heart, we have the... But imagine, from God's point of view, there's no limit. Why only ten? Why not eleven? Why not twenty? Why not thirty? Why not fifty? Why not a hundred? Why not a thousand? Why, not... Why five senses? Why not twenty senses? There's no limit. The same God who created five senses could have created a million senses. Eight, nine, ten, eleven. There's no limit. So the, the, the energy of God which reflects God himself is also infinite. Where does the limitation come from? That there are five senses, or that, 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 that there are ten spherot, there are ten channels through which God uh, emanates from himself and God illuminates this world. Chachma, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and love, and strength, and compassion, etc. The ten spherot, the ten and not nine, ten and not eleven. These come from the vessels. These are the kalim. The kalim limit and channel the energy that should only be channeled in this way and shape or form. So this whole world is in a very narrow range. The whole world, our whole frame of reference, is in an extremely tiny and narrow, narrow range. Our whole world, which consists of words, concepts, ideas, time, past, present, future ideas, that whole world, that whole realm, ten svirod, five senses, that whole world is so limited. From God's point of view, God is, is, has infinite capacity. His light is infinite capacity. But he channeled his light and he created a world in the whole frame, our whole frame of reference. Our whole frame, and we can't even think beyond it. Because we, we are straightjacketed. We can't. It's impossible. You can't jump over yourself. It's impossible. You can't jump beyond yourself. You can't imagine something that you don't even have. We don't even have the tools with which to comprehend anything that's beyond, beyond us. So this is the kalim, the vessels channel this energy into five senses and not, and not more, into ten spherot. 
So you have the orot and you have the kalim. And so too, in the mitzvah, you have the light of the mitzvah, which is the intent, and you have the kalim, the vessel of the mitzvah. The vessel of the mitzvah is the deed, is the act. Every act is defined and limited. And every act is different. Every mitzvah is different. There's 613 mitzvah. Every mitzvah is very specific and highly defined. But then you have the light. The kavana. it's a unifying thing. The purpose behind the mitzvah, the driving force behind the mitzvah, the motivation, the ambition, the, the sense of connection, the conscious connection, the passion, the joy. There it doesn't matter one mitzvah the next. The theme is the same. It's a unifying theme that connects your whole life together, that drives everything that you're doing from the morning, the moment you wake up till the moment you go to sleep, from the moment you're born and even before you're born until the last breath and even after. There's a unifying theme that connects your whole life. That's the, the sense of connection. You want to connect with Hashem. That you realize when you do a mitzvah, you're connecting with Hashem. And that's the motivation and the drive that pushes you and inspires you to do the mitzvah. That inspiration is a reflection of the Ur, of the light. And the Ur is not limited. It doesn't matter this mitzvah, that mitzvah. It's that, that sense of connection that unifies the whole being, which is the same idea of the soul. The soul is like the light. Because the soul is not about details. The soul is that one entity that connects and contains everything. And all the, the fragments, all the details are just a reflection of that single entity called you, which is your soul. Versus the body. The body is very, very specific. You have the arms, and you have the legs, and you have the 248 limbs, and every limb is highly specified and differentiated and, and separated. But it's the soul that brings it all together. When you have a corpse without a soul, it's truly separated and fragmented, and one limb has nothing to do with the other limb. Disconnected. But when you're alive, when the mitzvah is done with life, then it's unified. Your life is unified. The mitzvot are unified. And they become an expression of that single, single unity. So the less rigid you are, the less egotistical you are, the more spiritual you are, the more refined, the more sensitive, the deeper, the more genuine, the more authentic, the more sincere, the more joyful, the more passionate, the more your life becomes unified, the more alive you are. So you have the light illuminating the vessel versus just having the vessel. And now we're going to learn inside. Because the truth is that the material, the vessel, is really a reflection of the soul. The material appears to be independent. The stone. There's no rhyme, there's no reason. I am here because I am here. That's it. The truth is, it's completely dependent being recreated each and every moment. But you don't feel it. You don't sense it. All you sense is the material, the stone. The more material something is, the more egotistical something is, the more rigid it is, the more independent it is. The greater the lie. The truth is that it's not an atom. It's completely dependent on, on the godly energy. All it is is godliness. It has nothing else. The less egotistical something is, the less material, the less rigid something is, the more life you see in it, the more you see how the material is completely dependent on the spirit. That the material is just a materialization of the spirit, like a tip of the iceberg. 
that points to the whole iceberg underneath it. There's so much more to it. This is just, matter is just energy. And the less egotistical you are, and the less rigid you are, the, less, the more spiritual you become, the more you sense the truth that the material is just a materialization of, of, of the spirit. <laughs> and that's true also of the lights in the vessels. It's the lights itself that bring the vessels. The vessel is only a materialization of the light. Just like when you have a thought, when you think something. It's your thought that brings with it the vessels, which are the words and letters with which you communicate this thought. The vessels are a materialization of the thought. If you have a concept, you have a thought, suddenly the words materialize with which you can convey this concept, communicate this concept. Where are these words? These words didn't come from thin air. They came from within the thought, from within this concept, this conception. So the, the concept itself materializes its own vessels. The vessel is only a materialization of the spirit. See, we have it all wrong. We think that material is real. And spirituality is, I don't know, what, when, where, who, what spirituality. I can see it, I can touch it, I can smell it, I can... The truth is just the opposite. Spirituality, that's real. The material is just a reflection of the, of the spirit. The body is a materialization of the soul. That's the truth. So much so, when the body and soul are together, the body is completely nullified before the soul. The body is nothing. The body comes alive. The body becomes part of the soul and separate from the soul. What happens when the soul leaves? The body quickly disintegrates. Nothing. Back, back, back to dust. But that's the truth. But you don't sense it. If you just see the stone, you would never guess that. A stone sits there for a thousand years, doesn't budge, doesn't yield, completely fragmented, not connected to the stone sitting next to it, even though in truth it's totally connected. Because atoms are all connected, and it's nothing other than, than atom. It's truly dynamic and vibrant and being transformed every moment. You, wouldn't, you couldn't tell by looking at it. You just see a dead, sitting there like a dead doornail, just sitting there. And that's how some people live their lives, like stones. They're not spiritual, they're not seeking, they're not searching, they're not troubled, they're not yearning, they're not striving, they're not aspiring, they're not... Just go through life, very mechanical, by road, like a stone. They may do a laundry list of mitzvahs, it's dead. What does one mitzvah have to do with the other mitzvah? No connection. That's not what Hashem wanted. Hashem wanted her to be alive. Like a body and a soul. The more alive you are and the higher form of life you have, the more light there is, the more you realize that the material is a materialization of the spiritual. Then the material comes alive. Then the material is the exact opposite of what it appears to be. Instead of the material being dead, the material suddenly comes alive. The material is, becomes an inseparable and part of the soul. And that's what Hashem wanted. Hashem wanted us to transform the material into spiritual. Not to leave the material as is. To transform the darkness into light. To unveil the truth. Reveal the truth. That the whole essence of this material is truly godly. How do you unveil that truth? By illuminating through soul. By shedding a light. Turning the light on. 
by doing the mitzvah with neshama, with passion, with feeling, heart and soul. By the mitzvah engaging you, changing you, transforming you, elevating you, inspiring you, challenging you. Personal. And then your life becomes unified, coherent. There's a theme to your life. There's a purpose. You're coming from somewhere, you're going somewhere, you have a purpose, you have a sense of mission, you have a sense of purpose. There's a theme to your life. You're alive. And the more coherent you are and the more connected you are, the more alive you are, the more clear it is. The more you have transformed the material into spiritual, the more clear it is. And the more godliness you've revealed. And that's the whole purpose. So yes, if you've schlepped the arm, you have everything. Everything is contained. You have the whole person because the whole soul is there. Just like the body. When you have the body, the soul is there. The soul is not leaving anywhere. The soul is not going anywhere. As long as we're alive, the soul and the body are married. They're not, they're not going anywhere. If you schlep the body, the soul comes along. So if you do the mitzvah, you have everything. You do the act, the deed, you have everything. You have the seed. Everything is contained in the seed. The whole potential, the main event is done. Versus if you don't have the seed, and you don't schlep the hand, and you're just schlepping thin air, you have nothing. Try schlep a soul without a body. You're not getting anywhere. A soul without a body, a disembodied soul, you have nothing. You have the body in in the materialized form. You have everything. That's the irony. In the materialized form, you have the essence. You have everything. Everything is contained. When you have the essence, everything is contained within the essence. The whole potential is there. It's in the seed. But it's, but it's not developed. God wanted it to, it to be fully developed. The ideal is to, to reveal it and feel the soul and transform the material into spiritual. So the more spiritual you are and the more coherent you are and the, the more less egotistical you are and the less rigid you are and the less arrogant and the, less, the more spiritual you are the deeper you are and the more genuine the more you reveal and you fulfill the purpose the ultimate purpose what God desired God wanted that it should be the mitzvah should be like a body and a soul the mitzvah should be alive to reveal godliness to transform the darkness into light Transform the material into spiritual. And the only way to reveal godliness is by being spiritual and by being coherent and connected on a conscious level. So you have to be alive. You have to be conscious. You can't, you can't sleepwalk. A Jew can't sleepwalk through life. You can't sleepwalk your way through mitzvot. You know, I have to do it and I'll do it, but... I'll do what I have to do and that's it. You can't sleepwalk your way through mitzvah, through being Jewish. You have to be fully alive, fully vibrant, fully awake, challenged, stimulated. You have to be a live person. Alive. Versus a corpse. Unfortunately, many times, we can look in the mirror, uh, <laughs> we see more like spiritual corpses than, than alive. But, but um, we have to aspire and strive to become alive, live Jews, 
to be awake, conscious of our Jewishness. To feel the connection, to feel moved, inspired, challenged. And that's, and, that's, and that's our challenge. That's why it's not enough just to do the mitzvot, just to do the right thing, just do the deed, get the act done. It's not enough. Not enough. We wouldn't need chasidut if, if that was enough. You just have the code of Jewish law, and that's it. You know exactly what you have to do, and you do it. Although that's the main thing. The main thing is get the deed done, do the right thing, and know the code of Jewish law backwards and forwards. That is the main event. That is the essence. That is schlepping, schlepping God by the hand. That's the seed that contains everything. God wants us to be awake, alive, colorful, vibrant, dynamic, deep, real. That takes, that takes effort. That takes work. That takes concentration. Kavan. That you have to work on. It doesn't come natural. That you have to work on. And that's what we're going to learn now. So let's, uh, Stephen, you want to continue the note? It is also explained, the last paragraph in the bottom of 526. It is also so explained in this Dayan that Kavana in mitzvot and in Torah study is on the level of life, while the body, for example, performance of the mitzvot is on the level and category of vessels. These vessels represent contraction, for it is through contraction of the light that the vessels came into being as it is known to those familiar with the Kabbalah, which esoteric wisdom. Similarly, the difference between mitzvot and nekavana is one of contraction and expansion, respectively, as explained above. The Alter Rebbe now expands the analogy of body and soul to mitzvot and kavana. He states that just as in the analogy all existence is classified into four categories, the two of them mineral and vegetable, belonging in turn to the broader category of body beings and to animal and man, to the broader category of soul beings, so it is also with regard to mitzvot and kavana. The Alter Reb now resumes the thought intercepted by the above note. They too, the mitzvah and the kavana, are differentiated into four levels. For the body of the mitzvot themselves comprises two levels, namely mitzvot, consisting of real action as opposed to speech, which is merely regarded as action. And mitzvot performed with speech and thought, such as Torah study, reciting Shema, praying, saying the grace after meals, and other blessings. Both these levels, action and thought and speech, are subdivisions of the category of the body of mitzvot. Just like you have the mineral life, inorganic life, those are the mitzvot, they, they correspond to the mitzvot that are active. Physical, physical action, putting on the tefillin, giving the tzedakah, lighting the candle. And then you have the mitzvot, which are more spiritual, like saying the words of Torah, speaking the words of prayer. So the mitzvot, which are more spiritual, they are like within the physical, there is a sign of life, which is the organic life, the vegetable life which again, the whole expression of the spirit is that it causes the body, the physical, to increase the body. The body should grow even more. So you see a sign of life, but it's very material. So, so that's parallel to the idea of speaking the words of Torah, which is spiritual, but it's considered like action. The kavana of mitzvah, one's intention to attach oneself to God, by performing the mitzvah, this, the kavana, 
being like a soul for the body of the mitzvah, is likewise divided into two levels, corresponding to the two levels of soul found in material bodies, namely in animals and in man. The Alter Rebbe now goes on to discuss two levels in Kavanah, the higher one of which is comparable to the soul of man, and the lower to the soul of animals. The first level is that of a person discerning enough to know God and to reflect on his greatness, and to create, out of his understanding, a lofty fear in his mind and a love of God in the right part of his heart, the seat of divine soul's emotions, so that his soul thirsts for God, seeking to cleave to him by fulfilling the Torah and mitzvah, which are the extension and illumination of the Ein Sof light upon one's soul by which one may cleave to him. In other words, this person's desire to cleave to God through the only means of doing so, Torah and mitzvah, stems from a love and awe of God created by intellectual appreciation of his greatness. His kavana in mitzvah, his desire to cleave to God through mitzvah, thus has an intellectual basis. When he studies Torah and fulfills the mitzvot, it is with this kavanah, and likewise when he prays and recites blessings, it is with this kavanah of cleaving to God whose greatness he has come to understand. Such kavanah is analogous to the soul of a human being who possesses intelligence and freedom of choice and who speaks with wisdom, for such kavanah is likewise based on intellect and choice. Okay, so this is the highest form of intent. A person was gifted with freedom of choice. We're the only creature in the universe that has freedom of choice. We can behave in a way that's completely contrary to our instinct. It's like that famous story someone heard that someone told him that if, he, if a person suffers in this world, you're guaranteed a share in the world to come because you've already paid all your debts in this world. He says, what can be worse suffering than being married to a shrew, being married to the, to the... who makes your life miserable? There's no greater suffering on earth because you have no peace in the house. You come home and you have no peace. So this brave soul decided that he... He, looked, he was looking for the world's worst shrew. <laughs> he'll suffer in this world and he'll guarantee his place in the world to come. So he asked around, he said, I'm looking for the worst. Anyway, comes home. After the wedding, can't believe it, the next morning, she's there serving him breakfast. And hands and feet, what can I do for you? Every day. It gets better and better every day. He says, I don't, he says, I don't understand. I mean, your reputation preceded you. I was looking to marry the worst shrew in the world. I've never met a, a nicer, a kinder, a gentler woman. So she grits her teeth. He says, A share in the world to come? Not on my life. (laughs) 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 But the idea is a person 
A person can choose, you can act, you can choose to act however you want. You're not limited, you're not constrained. A person who by nature is cruel could choose to act to become the nicest person in the world. And vice versa. We have freedom of choice. We have the full range, we have the intelligence to choose. We can choose, we're not limited. We're not limited to our instinct, we're not limited to our ego, to our prejudices. A person can rise and lift and decide to act in a way that's totally contrary to your interest and contrary to your instinct and contrary to your nature. And it makes you very flexible. But it takes intelligence. People who are intelligent are able to understand their enemies, are able to act in a certain way, and maybe even act in a way that's contrary to your nature. It takes an intelligence. A decision that you make based on a deep understanding and a profound understanding, you can totally change your nature and act in a way that's totally contrary to your nature. You're not limited. You know, for for flexibility's sake, you can can choose. Most people act naturally and instinctively and and very predictable. The intelligent, truly intelligent person likes to act in a way that's unpredictable. Likes to challenge himself. Most people who by nature are very conservative will only read conservative papers. Most people by nature are very liberal will only touch a liberal paper. But it takes a very a great person with a great, very high intelligence to say, you know what, let me read something that, that I hate reading. And that, that's a very big lesson of flexibility and learning and, and seeing things from a totally different perspective. Maybe you learn something that you would never realize otherwise. This, this, is, this is a gift that God gave a human being, that we have intelligence. We're able to rise above our nature, above our instinct, and act in ways that are even contrary, contrary to our nature. So it's a person who has a very deep understanding, a very penetrating and deep understanding of godliness. And based on this understanding, he evokes a desire, he wants a yearning to connect with God. And he knows the only way to connect with God is through Torah and mitzvah. And therefore, every mitzvah that he does is suffused with a sense of connection with his single theme that he wants to connect with God, and the way to connect with God is through the 248 mitzvot, every day of his life, every aspect of his life becomes connected with the divine, and everything becomes permeated with that single unifying theme of godliness and sense of mission and purpose. That's a person who's alive. That's a person who's, like, who's parallel to the human soul, the human being, who's, who's gifted with intellect, with imagination, with intelligence. That person is truly alive. His mitzvah is truly alive. That's the highest form of kavana, the highest form of intent. Versus? Second level of kavana is that of a person whose understanding is too limited to know and to reflect on the greatness of the blessed on itself, so as to create out of his understanding a revealed love in his heart, and also awe in his mind and dread awe in his heart. His level of understanding is inadequate to create a palpable spiritual emotion. Since one's observance of the mitzvah is contingent on love of God, and refraining from sin is contingent on a fear of God. How can one who cannot evoke these emotions because of his limited understanding fulfill the Torah and mitzvah? What motivates him? Such a person, the Alter Rebbe will say, is motivated by his arousal of the hidden love, the love of God, which also comprises an aspect of fear hidden in the heart of every Jew. Even if he cannot arouse this love to a revealed state, where he can actually feel this love and fear in his heart, he can surely arouse it in his mind. So that, at the level, he will experience a conscious desire to attach himself to God. This desire will lead him to study Torah and fulfill the mitzvah, since this is the only way for him to realize his wish. In this case, 
His kavanah and Torah study and a mitzvah, i.e. his desire to cleave to God, is based on instinct, i.e. the innate love of God found in his heart. This level of kavanah therefore resembles the soul of an animal, whose actions are instinctive, not rational. As we learned earlier in the Tanya, not everyone has the capacity. Not everyone has the depth of mind and the focus and the concentration and the zitzflesh to sit and meditate and develop, to develop a, a deep, intense level of feelings. And most people are not on that level. And to develop intense emotions. Most people don't have intense emotions. Not about godliness, not about anything. It's, not everyone has the capacity to feel so deeply, to love so deeply and to feel so deeply. And, you know, not everyone has these stormy emotions and passions. And so even such a person could also develop a certain sense of a love for Hashem, not so much a palpable love, but more like a decision in your mind, a, a, a tendency that you make a decision that this is the right thing to do and this is how I want to lead my life and therefore I want to study Torah and do live a Jewish life in order to be constantly connected to God. You have enough awareness to develop a conclusion, a conviction. Not a passionate conviction, because it's not within your capacity, but a conviction that can lead you to action, to lead to a consistent lifestyle, a change, a change in lifestyle. So you have to have some awareness. To change, you have to have some awareness. People don't change unless they have awareness. A person is not going to start to drop his diet and suddenly adopt a healthy diet unless there's an awareness. So you have to have at least some awareness and some conclusion and decision, conviction, to make a decision. Listen, I want to lead a healthy life and I want to eat healthy and wholesome. And even if you don't feel passionately about it, but you have enough awareness to know what's good for you and you know that this is good for me and I'm doing myself the biggest favor I'm not doing this for anyone else. I'm doing this for myself. I'm a mature adult, and this is what I would like to do, and this is how I'd like to live, and this is what I want to eat, and this is, this is I only want to eat wholesome food, and, and I'll stick to it. We have that ability. We have that capacity. A human being, we're not animals. We have the capacity to make, to make a decision based on awareness. But this is a lower level of awareness, which is almost based on instinct. Which instinct? The instinct that every Jew is born with. We're all born with that innate, inherent capacity, innate, inherent love to God. And therefore, instinctively, deep down, we all want to lead a healthy life, a wholesome life, a spiritual healthy life, a wholesome life. Deep down, we know that this is the right way to live. And we all want to do the right thing. As much as we're tempted not to, deep down, we all want to do the right thing. And if we don't do the right thing, deep down, we hate ourselves for it. We're not happy. We despise ourselves for it. We feel guilty. We're not happy. It may feel good on the surface. Indulgence always feels good for a moment or two on the surface. But at the end of the day, you're not happy about it. It doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't feel right. Does this tie into the distinction between the animal soul and the divine soul? Yeah, in, in general. The idea the difference between an animal and a human being. Here we're talking about even within the, within the divine soul. We're talking about divine service. Someone who's doing mitzvot and he's doing the mitzvah with an intent. But it's more like an animal instinctive in the sense that animal follows his instincts. He's pre-trained. The animal is just following his, 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 his destiny. Versus a human being has the capacity to rise above his destiny. 
So he's saying when a Jew serves God with a level of intent, but it's not a revealed intent, a conscious intent. It's not an intense, deep, dynamic, vibrant intent. It's just enough of an awareness to get you to live a Jewish lifestyle and to do the mitzvah. And you're doing the mitzvah based on this intent and based on this awareness. So that awareness is based on instinct. It's more of an instinctive feeling that every Jew has deep down that you know when you do the right thing, you feel like a million dollars. You know you're doing the right thing and you feel good about it. And that, that alone is enough to motivate you. I want to do the right thing. I want to be able to sleep like a baby at night. I want to sleep in peace. I know if I live a life of Torah and mitzvah, no one ever regrets doing the right thing. If I go through my whole day, and from the, mo- the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep, I did exactly as it says in the Code of Jewish Law. I thought like a Jew, and I spoke like a Jew. I never lied, I never cheated, I never slandered. And I always thought positive thoughts, God forbid to think any negative thoughts. And I always did the right thing, a whole day and every day. You know what? At the end of the day, I feel like a million dollars. Was it passionate? No. But, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, deep down, our instinct tells us. Every Jew has that instinct. We have that connection. Innate, inherent connection we're born with. We're born with that Jewish soul. Deep down, we want to do the right thing. And it's difficult. And it's a struggle. But when you do the right thing, at the end of the day, you feel wonderful. And, and you, you're aware of that. And that's the motivation that drives you to do the right thing. That's the intent that you're investing in the mitzvah. So your effort is basically just to arouse and awaken this innate and natural feeling that we're all born with. That's a, that's a lower level of kavana. That's an intent. It's like an animal form of life versus a human form of life. Yeah, but see... What is happening with all of these different aspects and all of these different levels constitute man. So all these aspects evolve and make themselves evident and manifest at any particular time in your life. So you're constantly, even though you have this intense desire to ascend, and you're doing what you can do to ascend, you still have to control the the animal nature, which forces you to hold down. So you have to just come to terms with that and accept that and just say, okay, this is it. So now I take it up to that level and have that level eradicated. Well, you have, even within a, one person, you can have different times and different levels. and, right. and, and um, Process. Right? Process, right? Process. Right, right. But here, here we're talking about the person who will never really subdue, even if a person will never really subdue his animal urges and instincts because it's not within our capacity. You could change your behavior. Unless you're a tzaddik. Unless you're a tzaddik, which, which, which 99.9.9.9% of us are not and never could be and never will be until Mashiach comes. But we do have the capacity to change our behavior. Yeah, yeah. But in addition to changing your behavior, we also need that soul, that feeling, that intent. You can't just do the mitzvah. We're not robots. God wants us to be alive, not robots. He wants us not to be corpses. He wants us to be full-fledged, alive human beings. But within life itself, you have different levels of life. You have one person who could be like a, a human life. Human life is the highest form of life, the greatest energy, the most intense, the deepest, intelligence, imagination. You can roam, you can imagine, you can do things that are totally contrary to your nature. That's a faith that's based on a very deep, profound understanding and, and which evokes an intense, passionate love, all-consuming love to God. That's not within everyone's capacity. Then there are those who have a lower form of life, like an animal life. It's also alive. It's more than just vegetable life, mineral life, organic life. It's, it is alive. There's a life. This is a life which there's also an emotion. 
And there's also an intellect, but it's, it's compar- in comparison to a human intellect, a human emotion, it's like an animalistic emotion, animalistic intellect. It's much right, it's much small, it's based on nature. An animal can also, a fox can also, <laughs> there's also intelligence in animals, but it's, it's, it's compared to the intelligence of an animal to the intelligence of a person, the emotions of an animal, the emotions of a person. So we're talking, it's more an instinctive type of life. So we're talking about a Jew whose foundation for his mitzvot, the foundation for living a Jewish life, an active Jewish life, is based more on instinct. It's an emotion that's based on instinct. Because instinctively we all respond to godliness, because we're all born with a Jewish soul, we instinctively respond to godly things. And deep down we know it feels wonderful when we do the right thing. So it's an emotion and awareness that's based and builds on that instinct that says, hey, I'm a Jew. This is who I am. I want to connect. I want to be connected. Yes, my heart is not, is not in flames. My heart is not, is not melting away with passion. You know, maybe I don't have the capacity to do that. But you know what? I do have the capacity to know enough and to be aware that this is what I want in my life. This is the direction I want to go. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to behave. And I want to be consistent 24-7. I'm going to live. I'm going to go on a spiritual, healthy, wholesome, organic, spiritually organic diet called Judaism. It's a 613-step program. This is the, the book, the Code of Jewish Law. You live a Jewish life. It's wonderful. It's healthy. It's divine. It's godly. It's wholesome. I'm fulfilling the purpose why I came down into this world. I'm fulfilling my mission. I'm fulfilling what God desired in this world. Whether my heart is melting away in passion, no, it's not. But so what? I know what I want to do in life, and I have enough maturity of mind to follow that awareness and to follow that decision consistently. So I'm investing in my mitzvah, I'm investing a certain level of awareness. A minimal level of awareness, like an animal level of awareness. But at least there's some awareness. So that's the intent that I'm investing in this mitzvah. So this mitzvah is alive on the parallel to the level of an animal life versus a full-fledged human life, which the person is not in the capacity of achieving. He merely recalls and arouses a natural love hidden in his heart and brings it out of concealment in his heart to a state of consciousness in his mind and at least even if he cannot arouse or reveal feeling of love in his heart, surely he can summon it to a mental consciousness so that he will in his mind and the recess of his heart should approve and consent with complete willingness and perfect sincerity to surrender his life in martyrdom an actual fact, not merely as a figure of speech, for his affirmation of the unity of God, rejecting belief in any other divinity, in order to attach to him his divine soul in its garments of thought, speech, and action, and to unite them to his unity, which is identical with the supernal will and is clothed in the, the terrorist study and performance of the mitzvot as explained above. Like Marian, that one undergoes out of the love of God, study of the Torah and performance of the mitzvot, unite the soul with God, therefore one's arousal of the natural love of God to the point where he is prepared to offer his life to God's unity will also motivate him to fulfill the Torah and mitzvot. This natural love also comprises fear of God, acceptance of his dominion, so as not to rebel against him, God forbid, through sin. When motivated by the pavana, which is born in his innate love and fear of God, one turns away from evil, 
by refraining from sin and does good by observing the mitzvot and studies praise and recites the blessings. Thinking merely of the meaning of the words without conscious love and fear of God in his heart and mind, which would lend emotional intensity to his prayer. Lacking revealed love and fear, he prays only with the meaning of the words when one fulfills the Torah in this manner. So it's also a form of life, just like the animal life. Life, the soul, connects the whole animal. It's one entity that expresses itself in all the organs of the, of the, of the animal. It's one entity, it's one soul from within that unites and connects the whole animal. So too, this Jew has a soul, has a theme that connects his whole life. His whole life is about being connected with God. He doesn't want to be disconnected from God. He knows that he's ready to give up his life for God in the moment of truth. And he knows that that's his truth. That's my truth. And that's my essence. That's my core. And therefore, I want to live my life, a life that's consistent with that truth, every day of my life. Not, not only do I want to die for God, I want to live for God. Because this is my true nature. This is what's going to make me happy. Nothing else will make me happy. Nothing else could possibly satisfy my true nature, my true self. So you can have enough awareness to be aware of it and to build your life, a consistent life, based on this truth. So this is the unifying theme that connects his whole life. So in a sense, it's like the animal life. There's a life, there's a theme, there's a, there's a connection in everything that you do 24-7. But it's, it's, a, it's a lower form of life. It's an animal life versus the higher form of life, which is the human life, which with intense emotions, with deep penetrating understanding, which in the lower level, the person doesn't have that intensity and doesn't have that depth of mind and that focus and concentration. And therefore, it's a lower level of life. In the higher form of life, his heart is melting and he's on fire and the mitzvot are on fire and the words of prayer are burning his lips and, and the mitzvahs. On the lower level, he's doing, he's saying the words, he's thinking of the words, he understands the meaning of the words. He's doing the mitzvah, he's paying attention to the mitzvah and his life is concentrated. His mind is on the same page, his heart is on the same page. We're not talking about a lifeless mitzvah, corpse where one mitzvah has nothing to do with another mitzvah. His heart is in one place and his mind is in another place and his, his actions in the third place. We're talking about a Jew who has a life. Yes, the animal form of life, but there's a life. There's a consistency. He's, his mind is on the same page as his actions. His heart is on the same page. He's aligned. His whole being is one entity. He's unified. That's the way God wanted him to do the mitzvah. And his life reflects the divinity of God. God is unified and his whole life is unified within this mitzvah. But that's a lower form of life versus the higher form of life. When his life is unified behind this, this deep understanding and passionate, soul-inspiring uh, um, experience of godliness, which on the lower level he doesn't have. He doesn't have the capacity for such a, for such a high level. But even that... This level of kavana is analogous to the yeah. soul of an animal which possesses neither intelligence nor freedom of choice, and whose emotions, its fear of harmful things, and its love of pleasing things are merely natural to it, not a product of its intelligence or understanding. So it's not like he understands godliness on a very deep level, but he, he has enough awareness, he knows enough to know, this is, this is who I am, this is my truth, this is what I want to do deep down. And I want, I want to live 
a life that's true to myself. I'm afraid, you know, just like a person instinctively won't jump into fire. Even animals won't jump into fire. Because an animal knows how to protect itself. Once you become aware that this is junk food and this is healthy food, I, I, I want to stay away from the junk food. Why, why would I kill myself? I love myself enough that I want to live and be healthy. So instinctively, you're going to turn away from anything that will harm you. And you'll be attracted to anything that can strengthen you and give you more energy and make you more alive. So the same thing is with the truth spiritually. That the moment you become aware and it becomes clear to you that this is drunk lifestyle, this is behaving in a way that I'm going to regret. Deep down I'm going to regret. And deep down it's going to make me miserable inside. Versus behaving in a way it may be difficult, it may require sacrifice, but deep down at the end of the day I'm going to feel like a million dollars. I feel wonderful, I feel great. It's going to energize me, it's going to rejuvenate me then your choice is clear. So it's almost like an animal. An animal instinctively is attracted to anything that's good for, for the animal and is repulsed and repelled by anything that can harm the animal. So for a Jew, it's instinctive. Anything that's godly is good. Anything that's not godly is not good and is dangerous and is harmful and is self-destructive. Why would I do something so foolish? So it's natural and instinctive. You don't need great, deep contemplation and deep penetrating understanding and earth-shattering and higher levels of consciousness and, 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 and earth-shattering emotions, revolutionary and volcanic emotions. This is almost a natural, instinctive, healthy, normal response. Once you become aware, there has to be some awareness. If there's no awareness, then you just eat junk food like most people do. And there's no awareness. You don't even make a connection. Zero awareness. So there has to be some level of awareness. If there's awareness, there's life. When there's awareness, then you can make a decision and then you can act naturally and instinctively. So that's the lower level of life. That's the animal level of life. Continue. So too, by way of example, are the natural love and fear hidden in the heart of every view. They, too are not a product of intelligence or choice, for they are our inheritance from our patriarchs and are like a natural instinct in our souls. But Alter Rebbe explained there that the patriarchs bequeath to their descendants an eternal inheritance, a divine soul with an intrusive love and fear of God. But this love is merely instinctive and natural. Its function as motivation, kavana, for the fulfillment of Torah and mitzvot is likened to the soul of an animal. To summarize, both the performance of the kavana of mitzvot are divided into two categories. The two levels in performance, the body of the mitzvot, are analogous to the two classes of body, creatures, inanimate beings, and plants. They are A, mitzvot performed with action, and B, mitzvot performed through speech and thought. The two levels in Kavana, the soul of the mitzvot, correspond to the two classes of soul, creatures, animals, and man. There are A, Kavana generated by one's intellectual contemplation of godliness, and B, Kavana arising from one's natural love and fear of God. So how do you understand the concept? So only but Jews he, he, can have this. The Jews have it instinctively. Okay, so when Moshiach comes, can we get rid of the Goyim? No. 
No. So he's going to make them Jews? No. No. They will not become Jews. But the whole world will be elevated. The whole world will become aware. Um, eventually, not only will all human beings be affected by Mashiach, that's the first stage. Mashiach will come, all human beings will become aware of God and start serving God. The whole world will become intelligent. The information age. Even the walls are already becoming intelligent. Some walls already are more intelligent than... Uh, <laughs> so, it's so the whole world... So aware, more aware than, than... But Mashiach will come, the world will become increasingly become more and more intelligent. Even the animals will become intelligent. There won't be any longer any predatory animals, eventually. Which eventually they'll reach a level, not maybe in the beginning, but eventually the world will be so, so aware and so intelligent, there won't be any room for jealousy. You know, it's like, this, it's like children get very jealous of each other. And people, people who are immature, like children, get very jealous of each other. A person who's very broad-minded, he's not jealous because he's, you know, he's, he has enough presence of mind. He doesn't get jealous. Mashiach will come, the first level, all the Goyim will serve God, not become Jewish. They'll serve God. They'll know God. They'll acknowledge God. They'll become righteous Gentiles. Which God? The only, there's only one God. I understand They'll become that. righteous okay. Gentiles. Like Noah. Noah was a non-Jew. Noah was a non-Jew. Yeah, the Noahide, the Noah become righteous Gentiles, Noahides. Then the next level, the, even the animals will become intelligent. There will no longer be any predatory animals. The wolf and the lamb will lie, will lie right next to each other. It's like, that, it's like that famous story. Like that famous story in the, in the I think in the, uh, where is it? In, in San Diego, the famous zoo. So they have... Um, an exhibit, the wolf and the lamb. Oh yeah, it was taking care of the uh, animals. No, and they see, and they see and they see the wolf and the lamb. So the, the 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 head of the zoo was giving a tour, and the visitors said, "How is this possible? The Mashiach came already in San Diego. <laughs> they saw the wolf and the lamb in the same in the same cage. So how is it possible?" So he said, "Ah, no, no problem." We change the lamb every day. <laughs> but uh, Mashiach hasn't come yet. But when Mashiach will come, the whole world will be elevated. Everyone will go up one step. The Jews will all become like tzaddikim. We no longer have a yetzahara. All the six billion people of the world will all become like Noah, righteous Gentiles. Everyone will be upgraded. Mashiach is a huge upgrade. The whole world will be upgraded, elevated, transformed. Mashiach is when Hashem's light will shine into this world, when the darkness will be transformed into, into light, okay. and the material will be transformed into spiritual, and God will feel at home in this world. When this world will become a godly place, and when the material will become a, a, a reflection of the spiritual. Instead of being egotistical, it will be on the contrary. It will be the most it will be the most revealing. This material world will be the most revealing, the most godly of all the worlds, the most revealing of godliness. Paradoxically and ironically, this dark, dense, egotistical, material, rigid, stone, physical, tangible world, which is the antithesis of godliness, the opposite of light, this darkness will, become, will reveal the greatest light, the most intense light, God's very essence. How do we make this happen? How does this come about? Through our Torah mitzvot. 
That's what we've been working for for the last 3,300 years, 3,320 years. Every time we do a mitzvah, we take another piece of this world, another piece of this dense, dark, material, tangible world. And we use our arms and, and we do the mitzvah with it, our limbs and our organs and our physical human form. And all, all the energy, all the food that it takes to give us the energy and the strength to do the mitzvah. We are taking a portion of this world and all the money that it costs to do the mitzvah. We're taking a portion of this world, our business and everything we interact with, we take a portion of this world and transforming it into something divine, into something godly. And each one of us was given an assignment. Each one of us was a portion, a certain portion of this world. So divide the world into 14 million. Every Jew is given a portion of this world. And all the Jews that ever lived, and not all the Jews that ever will live, because this is the final, final generation. So there's no pushing off. This is it. So all the Jews that ever lived since Abraham, and every one of us has been busy and is busy taking our portion of this world that was allotted to us, allotted to our souls, to illuminate, to transform. You know, you were given 75th Street to illuminate and to transform. (laughs) 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 (laughs)